Hello. Mayor Paul has his hand up. Oh, yes. sorry, I couldn't see him. Member Roussel. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, as always, it answers an awful lot of questions that I had. Um, uh, but of course, the presentation can't be three hours long. So I did find some questions I still had. Um, you know, when, uh, when the Rules Policy and Equity Subcommittee met two, three weeks ago, uh, there was a a brief conversation about uh, who is in our honors and AP math and other courses as well. Um, and I was just wondering about, um, you know, the accelerated math um, and whether or not, so the, there's this whole concept of tracking, which all the educators here know very well. Um, and it's also, not uh, you know for as as positive as it can be, it is not uh, a very good. Uh, it's not a force for equity for sure. Um, and um, I'm just wondering if the accelerated math course is really a um, just a, a tracking with a different name. Um, that's one question. Okay, great. Thank you, Mr. Russo. So one thing we, we must admit is that it definitely serves um, a certain population. Uh, now, it's important to review the process and it's important to have proper structures in place so that that helps us uh, place the right students in, in the particular uh, class, uh, the accelerated class. Uh, we also um, have uh, in the past, and, and I believe we, we should continue to honor parents' wishes um, who know their student the best um, and, and, and mention that they would like their students to be in the accelerated um, uh, pathway. Um, we always have honored them, even though we have um, given our advice and we have given our recommendation. So the it the accelerated pathway is not for everybody. Uh, Desi has mentioned that. I have seen that from my own personal experience. Um, so I cannot say that all students will be able to do it. I was not able to do it when I was their age in middle school. So um and, and I believe uh, that sometimes it, uh, it plays with students' confidence if we place them in an incorrect class, whether it's a student who needed to be in the accelerated pathway and we just put them in a standard class and whether if it was a student who, was in, who should be in standard class, they wanna take their time during and learning mathematics. And here we have put them in accelerated pathway. So we will continue to advise and suggest and recommend to the best of our ability using the data points that we have. Uh, we do um, um, ask parents, uh, we, we, we always will honor their wishes, uh, but um, I believe that there needs to be a level of trust where parents um, take the recommendations of the teachers and, and really, I would say sometimes that if they give their students the due time, the students will get to CALPS if that is the case. Um, we also know that um, if, if, if whenever the, 
there, there's a lot that's being taught in the accelerated pathway. Even with this modification, there will be a lot being taught. A year and a half worth of uh, standards in mathematics is, is no easy feat for the educator and for the students. So we need to be very careful with that uh, decision. As educators, uh, teachers uh, will be careful as um, as somebody who finally gives an okay or advises, um, I need to be looking at all data points in, um, and especially for this coming year. And I believe parents um, just need to be very sure that that's what students want as well and that it's not uh, them, um, you know, uh, making a decision for the student without knowing their student very well. I hope that answers the question, Mr. Ru, and, and if not, I can go in more depth. It does. Um, it leads me to my second question, which I think will be my last question because you've answered so many of my other ones already. Um, so, um, you know, I believe this committee has asked, and, I, and I, I don't, I lose track of which year it was and whether it was even uh, Dr. Edward Vincent um, for demographics on students that are in accelerated math um, and as well as honors and AP courses across the district. Uh, the students, uh, you know, when we, at that subcommittee meeting a few weeks ago, the students, and these are students that are there now, we're not talking about people who remember when they went to Medford High, we're talking about people who are literally still there, um, are very clear that the demographics, if you go to these courses, you do not see what you think of when you think of Medford. Um, and um, I, Listening to your, you know, the, the advice that uh, is given about whether students are appropriate for the particular course or not, I certainly think that's important, um, you know, but I also recognize that there's a human quality to that, that, um, I mean, the evidence is quite clear uh, when, when, and, you know, it's not about intent, um, so I never want to, anybody to think that, but um, teachers are people too, and, um, you know, the exact same set of characteristics presented in two different students, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, race or, um, or, you know, socioeconomics or, or, or disability or a number of other factors, the same qualifying characteristics of a student for accelerated coursework um, doesn't end up with the same result uh, when people of good intent, look at them and decide which ones should be moved up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know that I talked about, you know, this issue around girls in, in math, which is obviously a very uh, specific and very important issue and I know important to you as well. Uh, but I do, I just want to know that there's an active open conversation going on about how you are selecting students or recommending students for accelerated coursework um, and trying to purposefully work against the realities of being a human. Um, uh, and, uh, and I'm just, just want you to say that what, that you are or, or that you think there's more work to do there or. Yes, there, there is no doubt about it, that there is much work to be done there. Uh, because I'm very well aware uh, of the fact that we we all have um, our own biases and and 
and that's that's a big factor in in the decisions that we make. Um, the first step, uh, I, I would say, is that um, all of us, the educators in the committee and uh, educators in general, is that um, we we really reflect upon our biases and we look at the structures in place. Um, and it's no, again, it's no easy task. Um, um, I am hoping uh, that with this committee, um, that will be the overarching umbrella. And that's why I, we wanted to be sure that the name uh, reflects the mission is is equitable we like it to be as equitable as possible we will review what we can do in the best of our capability um and um and and we, we have been having these conversations um you know dr vincent and i and dr kujing and and miss galuji um we we would like to do our level best, but you know, it's a work in progress. Um, I just want the, the members of the committee to know that I'm very well aware of, of these. I, I was trained um, in, in, in Boston public schools and that was a very th tough thing for me to come to reality that even I can have biases, but I did. So I believe that the, the first step in the right direction is that uh, the committee members um, review where our, um, uh, what we have, what is in the back of our mind, is that, um, is that what we, we would want to pass along? Are we serving our community well? Are we serving all of our students well? So, you know, sometimes it's actually many times it's unconscious. We, we are not aware of it, but I think the reflective practitioner piece uh, will be very helpful in this particular regard, as it is in all regards, but all the more, this is where the work needs to be done in middle school and high school. Thank you. Mayor? Yes. Member Vandekloon? Yes, I, I wanted to, we received another letter. Yes. Uh, it says, dear members of this committee and Mayor Lungo Kern, I am watching the school committee meeting on the public access station. I am watching the math presentation. The question that has not been answered is what about this year's seventh grade students who were not given the option to accelerate? I thought they would be given the option in eighth grade, but based on this presentation, it does not sound as though any option is being offered that will address them. I would appreciate if someone would ask this question. Sincerely, Juliet Gainsborough, parent of a seventh grader and a 10th grader, 115 Alston Street. Thank you. Um, so the seventh graders um, this year, and I apologize, it's not in the presentation, but um, the seventh graders that were not given an opportunity last year at the end of sixth grade uh, will be given an opportunity to choose the algebra one option at the end of um, uh, this year, uh, which is in June. So I hope that answers that question. Thank you. No problem. The letters will be going home, uh, making, you know, letting the parents know uh, of the sixth graders and of the seventh graders. Um, we will be having placement tests at both levels and, and we'll make our recommendations both based on many factors. Placement test is just one of them. Thank you so much for the presentation, Ms. Khan. Thank you. Number four, we have before and after school programming. Ms. Megan Fiddler-Carey, 
Dr. Edward Vincent and Mr. Murphy. Mayor, um, I received a letter which specifically asked me to read it at the outset, if I could, on this topic. Please do. Thank you. Dear school committee members, I, Teresa Fernald from 13 Whittier Road, Medford, am submitting this request and a question on behalf of almost 40 families who have joined together in support of the expansion and further development of accessible, equitable, and inclusive after-school care in Medford, Mass. We request that I be granted five minutes instead of three during the after-school topic, Agenda 9.4, and that the below questions be read aloud during the meeting prior to our five minutes for this agenda item. Medford Parents for Better After and Before School Care. We have built a network of approximately 40 families who are ready, willing, and eager to be part of identifying and executing solutions related to the after-school crisis in Medford. To build the MPS School Committee Mission Roundtables, to build off of, sorry, held April uh, 5 and 6, we know the current mission statement is changing, and we support this change. However, we would like to ask the following as it relates to the mission calling for MPS to be a partnership of school, family, and community. What is the best way for parents to get involved in brainstorming and execution of solutions for the city's after crisis? Beyond attending a school committee meeting, how do we start a conversation towards solving the after-school crisis that builds toward a true partnership between parents, school, and city leadership in addition to the larger community? Uh, thank you, uh, parents working for better MPS. Uh, and there's Andrea Quinn and Emily Parada, Christina Roberts, Dallas Scott and Haskell Kent, Daniel Blackworld, Blackwell, Deirdre Hostler, Emily Jameson and Dennis Anderson, Nicole Dillon, Teresa Fernald and Vanessa Forsner. Thank you. Thank you, Member Vanderkloot. Dr. Edward Vincent, Mr. Murphy and Ms. Megan Fidler-Carey. Oh, I want to just say, um, as this presentation um, takes place, I just want to thank everyone who worked on it, uh, contributing, and we hope that many of the questions um, that were being asked and questions that were shared during last week's uh, roundtable sessions, uh, that um, the community will see that Medford Public Schools is making a specific and um, uh, a specific targeted approach to looking at our before and after school program. I think uh, Med Megan Fidler-Carey, um, who's our director of that program uh, for being with us tonight and Mr. Dave Murphy, um, who will be guiding us through um, a very comprehensive slide deck. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rod Vincent. So um, I'm going to uh, share a presentation now um, that uh, Ms. Fiddler, Carrie, and I will be um, walking through. Uh, we're doing so uh, on behalf of uh, Ms. Galusi, who I'm sure is defying uh, both the superintendents and doctor's orders by watching tonight's meeting. Um, but uh, obviously her leadership and oversight of the program uh, is critically important, um, and we're happy to to be uh, speaking on her on her behalf as well. So in tonight's presentation, um, there will essentially be three um, parts of what we'll be discussing and answering questions about. The first um, is an annual consideration uh, that uh, the district has to take up each year um, with regard to the establishment of tuition fees 
the before and after school program is intended to be a self-sustaining program, meaning the fees that are, that are uh, assessed and the revenue that is generated is then put into a revolving account um, that, that supports the delivery of, of the service that the district offers. Uh, the second piece, as the superintendent alluded to, is in response to uh, some of the concerns and um, uh, uh, questions that have been raised in recent weeks related to the structure of the program. And um, we'll be informing the, the committee and the community of our intention to expand the, the seats in the program, uh, it, but also talking about some of the logistical and financial implications of that. Um, and then finally, the third piece that we'll talk a little bit about are the additional considerations um, that reflected perhaps of the offer that was made in the public comment uh, immediately preceding this presentation uh, that the community and the school committee will need to take up, we would recommend taking up um, in, the, in the coming months and, and potentially beyond that because there are some significant strategic and structural decisions that have been made related to the uh, decision to offer this service. They are not necessarily the decisions that um, other communities have made. And ultimately, I, I do think it is the school committee that has to render a decision as to um, if to invest and if so, how to invest in uh, providing uh, particularly after school care. And we'll talk a little bit about the distinction. This is the department that Megan uh, leads is before and after school care. Um, and those two services are obviously related to each other. We'll, we'll be providing background and context on the overall before and after school program, but the recommendations, and, and we'll get to this in a moment, uh, with regard to some changes um, are specific to the after school um, uh, component. There's a, there are a few reasons for that. Some of them are related to the uh, coming out of the pandemic and this being a year which we're not doing um, before school uh, programming we haven't uh, to date. And then um, some of them have absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic, but um, it, there's just uh, there's a different set of implications for those two aspects. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Megan now uh, to talk a little bit about the context and the background of the of the programming that uh, she is is facilitating um, and her staff is facilitating. And I will say that um, as is the case with almost everything we present uh, to the school committee. Um, you are hearing from members of the, of the leadership team and the managers are responsible for it. Um, but, and again, this is really true for every single thing we talk about here. There are dozens and sometimes hundreds of people who actually do this work and uh, they work extremely hard and they um, uh, are responsible for making sure that the district as an organization is able to provide uh, the service and the services that we do uh, to the community. And so, while oftentimes before the governing body, we're talking about the sort of big picture and the vision, the, the strategy, what we can do to improve. Uh, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there are um, a, a you know, staff in the, in the dozens um, that make sure that uh, the uh, children of Medford uh, that are whose families are using the service um, are, uh, are have a, a safe place to go and are able to, to receive care on a daily basis. And so we certainly extend our gratitude to them. So again, for because I think we I don't think we should dive into a conversation about some potential changes before talking about where the program is right now. Uh, even though I know many people um, watching this may already be familiar with this, we want to provide some background and context 
uh, to the department. So, uh, Ms. Fidley-Carey, do you want to um, take it from there? And you can let me know when you're ready to advance the slides, and then I'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about um, some of the changes that we are recommending and or planning to take. Sure. Thanks, Dave. Um, and thank you so much for mentioning um, the importance of the staff and, and honoring them. I know some of our after-school staff are on this call right now, which I was really excited but not surprised to see because that's how dedicated they are. Um, they are very, very much working hard to make this program as excellent as it is. So I'm actually, and this is what I always do in interviews when I meet with people, I'm actually going to say as much as I can about what are on these slides, assuming that not everybody knows that much about the program. Um, that way I don't leave anything out that I think is important that I want to make sure everybody knows. And I know that certainly there are some new, new to the district families on this um, Zoom. So it, it bears going through the history of it. Um, so we provide after-school care um, at, from dismissal until six o'clock, uh, five days a week at all four of the elementary schools. Um, the before school programming, as many of you know, was suspended this year because we just couldn't guarantee you know, the safety and cleaning protocols that we needed to feel comfortable and to keep everybody safe. Um, but we are planning to run it next year. So that's good. We've, um, we've got it in motion. We're, we're making sure that staff are coming back um, and staffing up for that. Um, before school programming and after school program have increased over the last several years. Um, we, by hook or by crook, steadily figure out how to chip away at any wait lists and meet demand um, as we can safely in the program. So we've, you know, we're glad to have been able to see an increase in both of those programs over the last several years. Um, we, I, I, forgive me for those of you uh, who've heard this a million times, but for those who haven't, I am part of a, um, a group of people called the Network of Extended Day Directors. So those are other people in my same position that have district-run after-school programs in Massachusetts. And we, not this year, but typically we meet monthly to go over best practices, um, shared challenges, to bounce ideas on each other, to figure out, you know, what, how to, if anybody's come up with great ideas for problem solving. And it's a fantastic and phenomenal resource for me and for each other um, to find out, uh, you know, who else is running into any problems. So um, based on their best practices, that's where we determine a lot of our kind of things that we take for granted now. But for example, that last bullet on there is the ratio. We keep a 10 to one ratio, 10 students to one staff member um, for all of our sites. Okay, Debbie, you can go to the next slide. All right, we, we strive for accessibility, number one. We wanna make sure that as many families as need this have access to this um, and access come in, meaning know about it, know it exists, um, can afford it and can get to it. And um, I know that um, that's challenging for some. So, so, <laughs> so we've kept the rate um, in line with what other districts are doing. We've tried to keep it really accessible thinking about affordability and looking at other um, programs around Medford and across the state too. So currently that looks like what you see on the screen. Um, we, we, for um, ease in economics and um, accounting, we keep it to 10 monthly payments, 10 of the same monthly payments. So we pick, figure out a day rate and multiply that by 180, which is how many school days there are, and then divide that number into 10 equal payments. That's easier for accounting on both, both ledgers. 
Um, so you'll notice that uh, the before school programming is 140 a month for five days. And the after school programming is 432.50 a month for five days a week, which averages out to about $24 a day. Um, when we've spoken to other districts, which I do frequently, both through NEDS and um, to closer to Medford districts that maybe aren't in NEDS, um, some of the things that we find out about how they address challenges are they have caps um, where they just, they don't grow, or some of them have said that this programming is a lot of work and so that they outsource it. Um, so it's not a district run program. Um, I believe district run is better for students, it's better for staff. Um, there's continuity of information from the school day to the after school. Um, as Medford Public School staff members, my the after school staff and I have, um, we, can, we can be in the building as staff members and speak to the nurses and speak to the, the daytime teachers and find out kind of what's the pulse of the, the day. You know, are there students and did, they, did something happen during the day that we should know about in the after school that we can carry into it, um, that, that a private provider coming in and just kind of operating on the premises wouldn't be able to ask those questions because of confidentiality rules. So I think that it's better for students in that way. Um, um, hold on, I'm reading this last, I don't wanna leave any bullets out. Oh, about the fees that are comparable, right? So um, yeah, so we'll go into the next one. Um, so the organizational structure of the program is the Assistant Superintendent for Elementary Education, Suzanne Galusi, um, oversees all of these. This is under her purview. And then I manage the before and after school programs. But then at each site, there's what's called a superintendent, I mean, a site coordinator. And I like to pitch that as the principal of the that after school program. They're the person that is looking over all of the logistics. Um, logistics to making sure that the staff knows where everything is and what they need, um, checking in with parents, making sure all the attendance is organized. Um, and so I'm sort of there to support them and oversee the sort of vision of policy and um, make sure they have everything they need. And then the next in line um, at the Brooks, our biggest program, we have what's called a, a senior group leader. And we realized we needed that because we had so many staff at that program that we needed somebody to train up our brand new staff because we were having to get new people on board um, so fast that the psychometer couldn't do it all by herself. So we have this senior group leader who helps to mentor and train up staff. And then the group leaders are sort of like teachers. They come up with the activities. Um, the after-school day is divided into four parts, um, homework, snack, physical activity time, and enrichment time. And the group leader comes up with that enrichment time. So getting to know the students in front of them, they decide you know, what their interests are, their personal interests are and how they can translate that to helping out with the kids. Um, and then we have assistant group leaders uh, and then all school are very valuable high school aides. Um, and uh, all of those people that I mentioned besides me and our, oh, and we have our administrative assistant who's in the office with me too, who's sort of making sure that all of the finance and all of the nuts and bolts are, is operating and that nothing falls apart. She's there too make sure we have everything we need and that the tuition and payments are all paid. Um, all of the staff at the schools are paid through the revolving account. Um, and I did have one other thing that I wanted to just quick include. Oh, that I, so this year especially, but every year in general, um, I think it's important to note that we, we don't pitch ourselves as an academic program. It's not an academic 
after school program. When I first started out, I sort of wanted it to be. I, that's, I said, let's infuse academics and learning in everything we do. But we realized that so many of our students just need social emotional support. They need social emotional skill building and they need to kind of blow off steam. They've been in school all day. So besides homework and homework help and tutoring, we really don't heavily focus on academics. This isn't, I don't pitch this to say to parents like, sign up and you're going to get a better grade on the SATs. It's not about that. It's sign up and we're going to teach your kid how to be a better buddy and a better neighbor and, you know, an advocate for themselves and an, and an upstander, those sorts of things. So we've really tried to focus on social, emotional, um, and, you know, open circle. And we're carrying in the social, emotional learning and language from the school day into the after school program so that the kids have the consistency of those practices. And that's where our focus lies. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we've done. As it should um, be. And, yeah, go ahead. and your team should be as well. So uh, we're going to um, move forward now and to focus on uh, some of the recommendations or intentions we have with regard to the, the modifications of the program and hopefully also walk, the, uh, walk through the rationale behind each of those potential changes. And so just to sort of finish up in terms of background and context, um, this is a sizable program. Uh, there are hundreds of students and students across four elementary schools who receive um, this after school care and uh, before school care as well. The personnel costs um, are in the vicinity of $500,000, depending on the size of the program that has an impact on the, the, the size of the staff. But, as is the case with almost everything in Medford and every public school system, when you break down the budget, most of it is going to be in personnel costs. There aren't a lot of, um, there, there are some supplies and we make sure that we have the appropriate amount of play equipment and every, obviously we need snacks. We don't want to not have snacks um, at the end of a long school day. Um, but the vast majority of the funding goes toward um, paying the staff responsible for keeping students safe and providing the, the type of programming that Ms. Fidlikari was, was referencing. Um, so that's how the budget is, is currently broken down. Um, there is a, a modest grant that uh, the, the program receives and the revenue um, is typically in excess of a million dollars. If we look back over the course of the, the last five years, there's been some fluctuation in terms of the size of the program, um, but we can usually, if the program is at capacity, which it has been for the last several years, and as uh, Mr. Fidlicari referenced, it has it has grown steadily, um, and so we would project about 1.2 million based on. And it, it, just to be clear, there's there's a little variability here, okay? Because you have uh, some students who will be enrolled in the program for the entire school year, and some that will not be enrolled for the entire school year. You have some students who will be there uh, receive uh, before school care three days a week, and some that will have five days a week and some variability in terms of the total number of days students are in after school as well. So uh, in order, in terms of making this projection, um, this is based on what we on, on average would uh, receive as, as uh, we referenced, it's for, the current tuition is 43.25 for after school for the year. Um, but that doesn't mean we, we generate $4,300 per student. So, we would usually use an average of somewhere between 33 and 3,700. Um, you factor in revenue generated by the before school program, which is much less than the after school program. And this is about, um, it's been pretty steady. It's, it's gone up a little bit, um, 
but this is this is about what, what we would expect. And the difference in terms of the two hundred thousand that's referenced on this slide is that would be um, assuming we move forward with uh, our intent to expand. And just so there's we're clear in terms of what the administration is presenting to you tonight and what we are intending to do, we are going to be asking the school committee to. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so I apologize. But we're going to be asking the committee to uh, for a modest increase in the tuition um, in order to ensure that we have the, the budgetary capacity to do some of these other things. And we'll get into sort of how these five challenges are connected to each other. Um, we, we have generally grown the program in terms of the total number of students enrolled based on our spatial capacity, uh, frankly. And so we would like to continue to expand the program to make sure we provide the service that is being requested. Um, but there are some other inherent challenges that it's clear to us we will need to make in order for us to be able to have, make that expansion. And I would also just say that in order for the program to continue to be successful. And Ms. Fidler-Carey can, can expand upon that when we do questions, but um, hopefully it'll make, make clear sort of why, again, why it is we're, we're taking the actions that we are or asking you to take uh, the action with regard to the tuition. So the five challenges that we'll address over the next five slides are, one, we, we wanna make sure that we maintain affordability. Ms. Fidler-Carey spoke about the importance we place on access uh, to this programming. Um, we have a challenge both with regard to the operationalizing of the current program in our desire for an expansion uh, because of staff turnover. And for that reason, we'll also um, be asking for a wage increase for the staff that uh, the rationale being if we're able to stabilize the staffing, we can more responsibly expand the number of seats and ensure equitable access to Medford Public School students whose families would like to avail themselves of the service. There is a spatial component to this, that's number four here, and we have identified a strategy um, that uh, we've, we've worked with our elementary principals and our, our technology department uh, to make sure that we're prepared to identify that space and uh, move forward as necessary. And then we are also facing the challenge, and this is sort of one that's sort of hovering over this, is that there has been a dramatic decrease in the amount of revenue being generated this year because there are significantly fewer students enrolled in the program. Now, based on the registrations, it would appear as though our enrollment is going to be back up and that, that will be a good thing with regard to the revenue, but there is a need to maintain a robust balance in the revolving account um, because of potential unanticipated staffing challenges that we might have to face. And that is frankly part of making sure that we maintain equitable access to the program. So um, with regard to the request uh, to the school committee to raise the tuition, um, it's my impression that this is not something the committee has voted on in the past. Typically, um, this type of fee being assessed to members of the community um, would be voted on by the school committee. And so we're asking you to approve our proposed increase to $25 um, per day. This is, again, it's, it's maintaining the approximately 3% increase um, that the program has seen in the past. So it's not unusual or departing in any way from uh, what the district has, has previously done, but we would ask that you endorse that tuition increase. Um, the second piece that we're doing again is um, to raise the, the wages right now vary to some degree. Um, there are individuals in these positions and their wages, um, what they have in common is that they're all modest, but they range um, anywhere from uh, $14 to um, 
for the from the assistant group leader to senior group leader who has as Megan said are sort of the, the people occupying the sort of teacher uh, type roles um, those wages are, are range and there's different levels of responsibility and, and we've uh, established proposed wage increases commensurate with um, those those responsibilities but in order to try to stem the tide of staffing turnover which leads to instability within the program um, we are looking to uh, increase these wages according to the table that is before you. Um, and again, this is these, this is not uh, affecting the operating budget. This is the revolving account, which is um, uh, dependent upon the revenue generated from the fees. So the total budgetary impact of these wage increases on an annual basis is estimated to be about $120,000 or $125,000. Um, based on the stability of the, of the revolving account over the years, um, we're confident that that's a cost that can be absorbed. And these wages have been uh, generated in part by our research in, in terms of other districts um, that uh, we've done. And we think that this would put us in a position where um, we'd be paying a comparable wage, but a competitive one, and hopefully be able to stabilize that um, staffing situation. The third piece is with regard to the expansion. Um, this is based on uh, really two factors. Um, one, with regard to the identification of space, which has been the previous uh, up until this point has been sort of a limiting factor. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, but as we've identified space that can be used, and we know that there is this demand in the community, um, we feel a 60 seat expansion, will put up, which will put us back over um, the number of that was enrolled at the last time we were at full capacity, which was during the 1920 school year prior to the shutdown, and then slightly a slight increase, which is consistent with the trajectory and the project and of the of the increases over the years in terms of enrollment. So we feel as though we can. Um, this is this number is based on, as I said, the the space that's identified, uh, but also what we think we can with the wage increases expect in terms of the stabilization of staff. Um, we're looking at the number, the amount of turnover we typically have. Um, we're hopeful that based on the wage increases that will stabilize. We think we can add the uh, probably seven to ten staff members. That would be necessary in order to um, maintain the um, the ratio that, as we said earlier, we consider to ever the, the industry considers to be a best practice. In terms of the utilization of space, and again, this is not a surprise to our elementary principals. Um, the uh, we have computer labs that were built into each school. There were there are three in three of the elementary schools and two in uh, in, in one of the schools for reasons I'm not frankly, totally sure why, um, but we're in the process of refurbishing the uh, tech labs that are used specific to the technology classes when the elementary school students have their technology special. There are other computer, computer labs um, that are referred to as the open computer labs, and they're used on occasion, um, but frankly, the, the technology there is increasingly in those labs is increasingly obsolete. Um, because we're moving to a one-to-one -one ratio with regard to Chromebooks, um, and therefore uh, they're not in each school terribly well utilized at the moment. I'm sure each principal who is always thinking creatively is using them for something and that there's good work happening there, but um, this doesn't exclude the principals from using those rooms um, during the school day, but it is a way of avoiding having to um, take utilize classes for after-school programming that is that are typical traditional classrooms. As it says here, 
if the program were to expand, it very well might be the case that some classrooms um, would be utilized. Uh, and that's something that um, we would communicate ahead of time to teachers and make sure that we're, we discussed uh, with them uh, and their representatives the impact of that potential change. But right now, based on the, what we're intending to do in terms of the seat expansion, um, the use of these uh, sort of unassigned open computer labs would be sufficient and that would put us in a position uh, to expand uh, by 60 seats. Just to be clear, this is an important factor. We can't expand the program if we don't know where the students are going to be. But the use of the elementary school classrooms besides the tech labs is not a limiting factor. We're not not expanding because of the classrooms that we would have to occupy through this programming. It's just that we think right now the responsible expansion is by 60 seats. And so we're not going to take over more classrooms than we need to. And at the moment, the need would, would be um, uh, satisfied through the use of the open, class, uh, open uh, tech labs. So again, with regard to uh, the revenue, um, it is down, but we do have a healthy balance of approximately $800,000 in a revolving account that's there. Um, this would allow us, this coupled with the wage increase would allow us to um, hope stabilize the staffing and expand the, uh, the, the seats. But um, I referenced that account balance with the, with the very important caveat that the nature of this programming requires us to maintain uh, a healthy balance. And so we're not in a position to spend that down any further. But again, we wouldn't recommend it anyway because uh, we're trying to expand the program at a responsible rate and pace. And so I said the third part of the presentation um, that we'll touch upon here are what are the considerations and the questions that the, the committee and the district need to uh, be mindful of going forward and um, as, I, as I said, I think that I know there have been some offers made by members of the community to collaborate that, over, collaborate over these, these issues and questions. And it's something that the administration is always uh, uh, certainly uh, receptive to, and we're eager to um, work with both the committee and members of the community as we determine what the best direction forward is. Um, that being said, there is a, one question that this, the committee, I think, does have to just be cognizant of, because it's a question that all school committees do, is whether to continue offering this service. Um, we think there's a, a very a significant benefit to that. Um, we think if done uh, at a responsible rate, we can expand and, and offer the service, um, but that doesn't mean that we can just expand indefinitely. And I think that um, when we talk about sort of uh, the concepts of a wait list and public education, um, that that's a combination that doesn't really sit terribly well together. And I think all of us who work in public education know that, that if we're offering a service, the idea is to not have to wait around for it. And I think that's true whether we're talking about after school programming or an AP class that students want to get into or an intramural sport that uh, middle school students want to play. If we're offering it, there should, you know, access should be a, a, critical, um, a critical part of it. But at the same time, if we can't offer something responsibly and equitably, then we have to, as an organization, I think, strategize around whether it's, it's, it is the, the right investment. So you're not hearing a recommendation that we don't continue the program. That's certainly not the case. Um, but I do think we have to be cognizant of the fact that is a, it is a strategic decision that the organization through the school committee makes. And then from that point, we have to administer the program in the most responsible way possible. And an immediate or disproportionate expansion, um, I don't think would satisfy that responsibility, which is why we crafted 
um, the strategy that, that we had. Um, I think you know, Smith Carey talked a little bit about sort of the evolution in her own thinking with regard to the type of programming. Um, this isn't something that we have a recommendation on tonight. It's not one that I anticipate making in the next several weeks or even before the 21-22 uh, school year. But I do think that every single program and service that we offer um, has to take into account the significant disruption in the instructional experience to students going going through this pandemic. And um, there's some strategizing that and prioritizing that um, and conversations that should take place uh, in that context. Um, something that I know, uh, or as I've been told, has been discussed at the at the school committee level in the past is whether to implement a graduated income-based tuition system. Um, that is something, frankly, that we have we discussed in the formulation of, of these recommendations. It's not something that we think we have the capacity to implement right now, which is why it's not a part of that. But there is certainly room for a conversation there. Um, and then finally, with regard to the the go back to the spatial issue, um, there will be some potential strategic decisions that have to be made made in the future if we are to continue to expand as to whether to continue. You continue utilizing in-house space or potentially partner with other organizations, which will in turn um, uh, raise the, the costs of the program. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's the vast majority of it now is personnel. Um, it's not to say that we that we couldn't theoretically um, expend some resources, but it, it, it may be the case in order to maintain that healthy balance and make sure that we're able to provide equitable access if, if necessary. Uh, it may be the case that we would have to consider a, a, some type of um, raising of the tuition fees in order to be able to uh, withstand a potential um, the potential use of, of other facilities. So those are sort of five nuggets of um, information that I think is the, the sort of common thread there is that we will be revisiting these issues um, in the future. There will be some strategic decisions that have to be made uh, to that effect. And I think that's not this, sorry, one last thing. So this is just sort of walking through. And again, the point of this is just to demonstrate that all of these things are, are connected. The first box, we decide whether to have after school programming. That's a decision for the school committee. Right now, the organization has decided, yes, we will. Second, we, we decide to expand. That is reflective again of the sort of uh, internal conflict uh, or inherent conflict rather uh, between having a public education and something that an element of the, of the school system that is inaccessible. Um, so to address that, um, we have to identify space uh, and we have to stabilize um, staffing. So we, we're, our recommendations are, uh, we're, we're gonna intend to use the computer labs um, and we're gonna intend to increase the seats. And the way to do that, we think responsibly would be to stabilize the staffing, which is why we are asking uh, for the, 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 the wage increase to members of the staff. So. I appreciate you hearing us out on all that. I know this is a multifaceted uh, presentation and uh, I certainly hope that um, no one will be shy about asking questions even if they think the information might have been tucked away uh, somewhere uh, as we're happy to um, revisit any, any or all of the pieces of information that we've conveyed tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Member Rousseau. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that we got this presentation ahead of time. I don't think I could have digested it all right now. Um, I first would like to acknowledge that uh, our director, 
still needs to actually have a title of director. Everybody wants to refer to as the director and she should be the director. Um, so I look forward to that being corrected, hopefully in this budget. Um, uh, I, I think one thing that's missing here is the, um, the impact of failure to meet this need. Uh, our tuition, uh, our charter school tuition this year is $8.7 million. Um, and the frequency with which I hear parents, say, well, I mean, they don't end up in our school system, but you see it on Facebook, you see it in the parent group. And they're like, well, I went there because I get guaranteed after school. And, um, and I understand the dynamics of not having unions in the charter schools and they can do things we really can't do. Um, but one of the things they also do is, is take up a many, many millions of dollars a year. And um, I think that, you know, the word affordability is a reference to the families, but I think we also need to acknowledge there's an affordability to the district to not having every single person who wants to use this program have a seat. It's $13,000 a year for 13 years that we send money out of the district. And it's always these kindergarten parents who are like first kids, can't get a seat. They have two or three or four kids. And once the first kid goes off to the charter school, they don't, kid number two, they're not putting into the lottery. So instead of it being 144 or whatever the number is, thousands of dollars, it's times the number of kids they have. We are talking about literally flushing vast sums of money down the toilet every year. Um, and I, I think that worrying about whether it's $29 an hour or $35, I mean, the number, the amount of money we're losing to this dwarfs the entire budget of the whole program. So I, I think that that, and I know that's like, it's like imaginary money that we don't have. And it isn't like we can't, we don't have a ledger. Um, and I understand like, it's harder to talk about because it is sort of like the money that's not in front of us. Um, it's not in our budget and it's not going to be. Um, but I think of this very much like we're, we're, we're looking here and the problem is just so much bigger. Um, so I, that sort of was a really important point that I, I, I don't see in the presentation. I also don't know that it, how it would fit. So I'm not criticizing. Um, I would just uh, add, you know, I am 100% opposed to privatization of any sort. The word privatization and public education, those two things being discussed at the same time feels almost like as a very strange thing. It, it's very much similar to the whole point that Mr. Murphy made about talking about wait lists in public education. They don't go together for a reason. Um, and privatization and uh, public education, in my mind, don't belong together either. Um, I would, I would uh, couch that slightly in that if you told me we could privatize this and all the employees would be paid at wages that we agreed to and they all got health insurance and retirement benefits and a private company. But that's not what happens. When you privatize, yeah. everybody gets the least imaginable amount of money possible to make the business work. Privatization if we're able to maintain that level of control, but I, I understand the point. Yeah. So um, I, I don't want to be the only one to speak, but I just want to quickly ask um, a couple more questions. Um, we have a few words that we actually don't define in here. And I, again, it's a presentation. It's not a 
not a uh, it's, it's not a paper. Um, affordability isn't defined. Um, and I, I think it's important to acknowledge that the, the goal of affordability is really about affordability for people who are resource constrained. We are not talking about affordability for people with, you know, $250,000 in household income. You know, when I looked at the survey results for the superintendent search, um, just not related to this, um, the number one respondent in their income category, and obviously this was not a Medford, you know, this was not a scientific sampling of Medford, but of the people that responded to the demographics, the most common answer to their household income was over $250,000. We are not living in the Middle Ages. There are lots of people in Medford who can, who would think that these numbers that we're talking about, those aren't affordable, they're laughable. They're, they're kind of like, that's it? Well, sure, whatever. Like they don't go and look in their budget to see if they can afford it. They look at these numbers and they're like, Jesus, why would anybody not take this service? Um, so I think we have to nail down a bit on what we mean by affordability because by focusing on just the fact that it's, we wanna keep it affordable for those that are resource constrained, um, we're missing a huge opportunity, frankly. That, that's how I view this. And I recognize that we don't have the systems in place this year to start doing things around, um, you know, the sliding scale or income-based. And those techno technical requirements are not something you can snap your fingers and accomplish. Um, but, you know, when I heard the, well, I had heard $540 a month, although I realize it's not that number. I thought, well, is that a week? I thought it was a week. And, and I, 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 I mean, has anybody here hired a nanny? I, I, I haven't. But if you tell me you can get a nanny for $540 a week, I'd be surprised. So, um, you know, I think we, we have to, we're not valuing the convenience of in-place transfer of your child from their classroom to their after-school program. We're not valuing that. We're comparing it to a kid that would have to be picked up and transferred to GraceWorks or, or Six Acres or wherever. Like those are not comparable, no matter if they were doing exactly the same programming. They are not comparable. And where are we adding the value and figuring how much this is worth around the fact that your kid just goes either from you know, the second floor to the first floor, or maybe even they're in the same classroom. Um, there's a huge value there. and. I'm not saying we jack the rates up for everybody, but for people that have the resources, these numbers make absolutely no sense um, that we're charging. And I, I am not a fan of 3% increases in the future. I, I certainly will vote for that tonight, but um, that, you know, and maybe we get to a whole new structure and then we go 3% going forward. But like once we switch or can get to an income based, I do not expect you to get like a presentation that says we're going to charge them 10% more. Like that's, that's not thinking outside the box or valuing the service that is being provided in my opinion. Um, there's uh, the staff turnover. I think you know, that was well covered um, is a major issue. And I was super happy when I saw the slide with the increases in the, um, in the wages, it was much bigger than I anticipated, honestly. And uh that made me feel very confident that we're working towards really dealing with this. Um, 
um, th there's a, there is a, the word equitable access is in here two or three times. And I'm just wishing we had a, a, a definition and maybe there is one, but um, we do need to define that because there is no, it's not like math. There is no answer. It's a value judgment that we as a community make to decide what equitable means. And I expect that that changes year to year, you know, um, as, as Medford changes and as the committee changes. Um, and then that was all I had for the moment. I appreciate this. This is, I think, excellent. And um, when we get through lots of questions, I'd be happy to make some motions. Thank you. Thank you, Member Vandekoot. Uh, yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, so the thing is, first, I want to thank Megan and uh, Fiddler Carey and David Murphy and Suzanne Galusi uh, and everybody else who's worked on this. Um, and certainly there are a lot of positive uh, changes in this. Uh, it looks, um, you know, the increased wages hopefully will help in securing um, people who want to work in the after school. It's always been a difficult position to hire. Um, because it's for a limited amount of time in sort of an awkward part of the day. Um, I will tell you that I've visited the after school on numerous occasions, and I've just been so um, uh, thrilled with the staff members and their dedication to the kids. Um, they clearly uh, um, take their responsibilities uh, very, very highly, and I've heard such wonderful feedback. Um, having said all the positives, the only thing is, if I'm looking at this, and it was from the first slide with the numbers, uh, we're adding projected 60 spaces, but we've got 144 on the wait list. That means, if I understood this correctly, there are still 84 families who are being disenfranchised. And so then the question comes back and saying, okay, great, fantastic, I understand you're trying to be realistic. Um, in your projections, I understand there are some issues about space, although Mr. Murphy said it was not space alone. Probably the hiring, I would guess, is the one of the most difficult uh, things altogether. Um, but how are we going to accommodate the other families who are not accommodated in this? Yep. And what, what else can we do? Um, I wondered, and I realized I absolutely get that there's a whole nother of oversight needed um, we've, parents have mentioned that they wanted to be cooperative players. I've remembered the days of preschools where there were cooperative preschools and parents volunteered maybe to work on a Monday and Wednesday, and then their kids went, uh, went and other parents took over in other days. And I, again, I fully appreciate that's a whole nother level of, uh, organization, but if hiring is the issue and if, we're looking still at this gap of 84 families. Um, and I don't know if it's uh, spread throughout the district in particular. Um, that, that seems to me that's the next challenge and what are we gonna do about that? Uh, but again, I say this almost kind of like torn because I wanna tell you, I very much appreciate the work that's been done and the steps that are positive moving forward. Yeah, I, Mayor, if I could just briefly respond to both Mr. So and Ms. Vanderkloot. Um, I, the first thing I think everyone should know is that it's not uncommon, particularly in Ms. Fiddler, I, uh, correct me if I misstate anything here, but it's not uncommon to have a wait list at this point. And there, the, the, the likelihood is many people on the wait list will ultimately, I, I, wanna, I don't wanna get into the quantity, quantifying it, but 
there will be people on the wait list who in all likelihood all end up with a C. And so it, if it's 84 right now, it should be fewer than 84 um, by the time September comes around. So that that being said, um, Ms. Vanderhoek used the word uh, disenfranchisement. And I, I think it is necessary to know that this is not a core service of the district. Now, that being said, okay, the district has decided to have an after-school program, and I think we all agree on the inherent conflict and problem with having a service that's offered that we can't afford to everyone. But that is why, in, in, um, as we consulted with other districts, some districts ultimately did decide to privatize the service because they couldn't uh, rec identify the capacity internally to be able to provide the service to everyone who asked for it. And so, you know, that is like the sort of conundrum that we find ourselves in, that we make the strategic decision to do this because we want to provide as much service as we can, but we have to be honest about our capacity um, to, to offer to offer the, the service in the way we do our core mission, which we have a moral and legal obligation to provide uh, uh, to everyone. And so there, there is a distinction there. Um, and I just wanna say, because um, to the point that Mr. Rousseau made with regard to the wages, the wage increases, that is like everything. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the things that we put in here are undefined because they're based in part on comparisons we did to other districts. So the definition, I would say, is generally by trying to be comparable, both with regard to tuition fees in, in terms of access and affordability and with regard to, to wages. At the same time, uh, and there's, there's some variability with regard to the, the scope of the increase, depending on the position, because there's some variability with regard to our ability to retain people. And so that's what we're that that is sort of what's what's um, driving this. And I, I do have to mention as we approach budget season that, again, this is a self-sustaining program. And so these increases are based on the fact that there are heightened fees being generated and a revolving account to which these are charged. So this is not, this is this classification of employees really can't be compared to any other uh, group of employees. And I appreciate the time to offer those explanatory notes. Member Graham, then Member McLaughlin. Um, so if we move forward and with it, the, uh, the hopes to expand, um, to the, to these 60 seats and you find that you have qualified applicants in excess of what you need to expand the program, I'm making an assumption that you would expand the program beyond the 60 seats. Is that true? Uh, so I think if... I'll, I can go back and see if I got the wording correct, but it's an approximate expansion of 60 seats because while I do think we should, the, the, we should come to before you on an annual basis to ask for the tuition increases, um, I wouldn't say that the administration should come before the school committee to ask about the number of seats because that would be like showing up to ask, you know, how many, how many kids do you want us to put in this class? We have to, we provide the service right. that we can. So that's an approximation, definitely. Yep. But I would say that I don't think, I, I, it's based on one, the spatial um, factor, which I don't think we're going to immediately like have a new wing of a building or 
clear out like classrooms. I mean, there, there's that doesn't mean we couldn't theoretically use some classrooms. I mean, they, we could expand that, but there's two other factors. One, there are additional challenges that are created the more students that that are in a building. There's administrative uh, challenges that become posed. There are safety and security challenges. There are health services challenges. All of those things have to be taken into account, which is one of the limiting factors and why we wouldn't want to quadruple in size uh, overnight. Um, that's a factor. The, the other factor is uh, theoretically, if we were to grow and not have space in one place, we might have to look at some options that currently is, are not on the table based on the current budgeting. So you could see a world in which this expands in a way that um, upper, you know, fourth and fifth graders are transported to a central location. Well, um, maybe we could do that logistically, but that might change the nature of the service such that there might not be the same level of demand. And so that's something that we'd want to think long and hard about before we were to take that up. The final limiting factor is that we know we have staffing challenges now at our current size. We think that increasing the wages is going to stabilize that, and we think we're going to be able to hire the necessary staff. We could be wrong about that. And if we're going to be wrong, we'd rather be 20 students over-enrolled and find out that we have a, a staffing emergency than to be 80 students over-enrolled and have a staffing emergency, which is an, another big component of why we would want to grow gradually. Yeah, I, and I get that. I, I certainly don't think we can be in a position where we overcommit and cannot deliver in a big substantive way because I think at that point, you know, you would have no choice but to shut down big swaths of the program, which um, would not be what anybody is looking for. But I will say that this committee has been told unequivocally by past administrators that space is not an issue that constrains us. And at the time I didn't particularly believe it, although I think the message was it's a, it's a constraint that we can overcome with enough lead time. Yeah. So I guess um, what I would ask of all of you is if, if the hiring becomes the, the if our, cha if our changes to this, the wage um, structures are such that staffing is no longer like the long tent in the pole mm -hmm. and you need something from this committee to wrap, to allow a more rapid expansion than you're planning on that you would come back to us and make sure that we prioritize taking action on that as, as fast as we possibly can. Um, because I do think there are a lot of families, you know, there are families on the wait list. We're not even talking about the families who don't try to get on the list because they didn't even know they were supposed to be on a list. Like we, you know, I think even if we found a seat for every single person on the wait list, we're sort of, we're only solving the part of the problem that's sort of loud and in our face, but we're not necessarily, I, I don't think we can say that we have solved the entire problem of after school care amongst elementary schools. Right. So I, I do think there has to be some evolution here. Yeah. Right. Um, no question there are people that are not, we don't know about who either don't know about it or right. aren't bothering to advocate. So there's no question it's a much bigger issue. Right. And that's one of the issues here is that as we solve some of it, we will have more problems challenges being generated that doesn't mean yeah. we don't want to address them but we have to address them responsibly mm -hmm. yeah completely agreed so um i i would like to make a motion that we 
um, adopt the recommendations provided to us that provide wage increases for the after-school program uh, staff and the recommended um, rate increase for tuition for the after-school program. Second. Seconded by many. Um, Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Um, I, I'd like to hear from some, from some parents before um, voting on the motion, if we could, because I'd like to hear perspectives. And I'm going to forego my place in line right now so I can hear from a number of folks, and uh, then I'll circle back around. Sure. Thank you. Andre. Hi, I, can Andre, I, Andre name, an, name an address for the record, please. Can I actually hand it off to Teresa to speak first? Sure. Teresa, oh. Teresa, name and address for the record. Hi, good evening. I'm Teresa Fernald from 13 Whittier Road. I realize this has been a very long day for everyone. I appreciate being granted this time. Uh, we prepared a, a brief statement from our Medford parents um, for better uh, before and after school. And um, we recognize that during the meeting, as you've been talking, you know, we should qualify what better means. And that means more accessible, accessible after school care. Um, we appreciate Megan's report tonight at the, at the meeting. Um, however, the report and, and the recommendations that uh, she and David went through they do not provide relief for the families that are excluded from the program, as member Van der Kloot mentioned, the disenfranchised families. So before after-school care is more accessible after-school care. And we appreciate the context David is saying tonight about the programming not, you know, not being, I don't want to misinterpret your words, but not being part of a core service. But this is a fundamental um, issue for our community. Um, you know, as Paul mentioned before, you know, families having to choose to leave and, and not participate in public school by sheer need is, is, is really important. So I just want to provide some context to uh, related to my email. If um, I registered my oldest child of three. So in that kind of situation that Paul mentioned for kindergarten a few short weeks ago, my husband and I work full time, both of us, like many families in our organize, organizing group. And we entered that after-school lottery, um, as and many families um, in my child's pre-K received the same, a, same, a similar email being added to a wait list. And our understanding is not um, what you mentioned, David. You know, describing how the wait list works. Very briefly, after finding out, you know, even in a so we're already thrust in a stressful situation. We don't, we're not in, we don't have a spot in the program our understanding is that very few new kindergarten students are accepted any given year. Uh, so those would be disenfranchised families. And that there are the significant number that's mentioned uh, on the wait list, even though that number will go down if the spots are added. Uh, the reality is if you don't get that spot during your kindergarten year, it's very small chance that you ever get off that wait list. Um, most of us, when we reached out about our position, those families who have rising kindergartners, we were told that we were at the bottom. Many of us were. Uh, there are very few other local after-school options in Medford, particularly for kindergartners through third grade. This is a community issue, not just a, a school issue. So 
we have a brainstorming group. We did a lot of knowledge gathering in March in just a few short weeks. We've gathered insights by talking to Megan, by talking to school members like Jenny and Paul. We gathered insights from talking to Marie at Medford Family Network to get that wider community context. And we have grown a network of families, nine of us who are organizing and 30 other families who are interested and, and you know, at various levels, willing, wanting to at least stay informed, if not participate in, in that brainstorming. So just building off of that vision, um, you know, mission and vision that most, a, a lot of us in the organizing group attended last week, and we appreciated that outreach by the school and the, and the school committee to participate in that conversation. As it relates to making Medford a strong, vibrant community that's inclusive for all working family situations, um, our blue sky goal is that every family in Medford who needs a spot in the after and before school program should get one, uh, particularly after school. And so we must strive for a future reality where zero families are forced out of the public school system altogether, um, choosing those private, private or charter school. Um, and, and there are worse yet, there are families that don't have the means to find out um, to find private care. So we have to address this in an equitable way. Um, Equitable does not mean equal also in terms of the affordability question. So to my email point before, just I'll wrap up. We have this network of families. We To build on that mission vision, we are ready, willing, and eager to participate in a partnership. As someone already mentioned, I think, David, this, this could require a, a set of solutions. And we're, you know, we're at the table asking how to be part of that conversation, how to be part of that brainstorming, how to be part of executing solutions too. So, you know, maybe not today you will have an answer, but how do we have those conversations and be, and, you know, come to the table with you to, to make this a community um, solution set. Thank you. Thank you very much, Teresa. Vanessa? Hi, my name is Vanessa Farsner of 17 Barbara Lane, and um, I want to also thank gave the presentation for sharing that information with us. I really appreciate it. I'm sure it took a lot of time and effort as it has, um, you know, appreciate the time and effort of all the other people that I've been lucky to work with on this and try to move things forward. Things that I want to bring up again and make sure that I feel like the after school, the people working on the after school program are really hearing is that um, this isn't just about us getting a spot. This is about equity in our community. And I'm very disappointed to see that there is just a statement that working on a sliding scale fee right now is basically, it seems like too complicated. This is essential for us to meet the need. I unfortunately during this meeting had some trouble pulling up my numbers, but I ran the numbers on the free and reduced schools across our community. And three of the schools are closer to 40% free and reduced lunch. And then the Brook School is at about 13% free and reduced lunch. Yet I have been told time and time again that the wait list for the after school program is significantly higher at the Brook School than any other school. To me, that draws a clear line conclusion that it means it's not affordable for parents at these other schools. 
So to say, again, that we're meeting the need by filling 60 seats is just absurd to me. We're not coming close. These family, there are so many families who just don't even see the fee that you have as something that they can put their money towards that they're not even looking at this as an option. So how many latchkey kids are out there because we're not offering an affordable program? And on the other hundred percent agree with Paul, where you have so many families out there who would pay the 650 plus dollars that families in Arlington and families of Winchester are paying. Nobody is questioning, nobody in our group, I feel, is questioning the quality of what the students are receiving once they're in the program. We're questioning the accessibility of this program to students across Medford, not just in the Brook School. And so I feel like it is essential for a sliding scale fee to be developed and be focused on. I also think that um, this issue of space, I haven't once heard anyone talk about other locations being used. Why can't the buses drop off kids at the high school and have a program run out of the high school or one of the middle schools? And if there's a reason, then let us be a part of that conversation so that we can understand what the reasons are and see if there are barriers. The idea that um, that the staffing is the issue. Clearly, private organizations have found ways to fulfill the staffing. I think you've taken a great step by suggesting an increase. I agree with Paul, and I'm so happy to hear you suggest that those pay increases should happen. But ask some to pay more so that you can have even greater pay increases. What you stated for the pay increases will not meet minimum wage come January 23rd um, uh, I'm sorry, January of 2023, Massachusetts minimum wage is increasing to $15 an hour as of January 1st, 2023. So you need to think not about just today, but about how those wages need to increase over time. And I really think that you're missing a huge opportunity in the ability to charge others more. I'm sure I'm running out of time, so I only have two more points. One, it continues to frustrate me that there's a four-day week option. I think a three-day week and a two-day week mean that there's a student in that spot every day of the week. And this four day of a week just seems like a discount and not something that is getting in a position at one time. So three days, two days, five days. Why do we have a four day week option? I would really like to um, hear an answer to that at some point. And lastly, really um, transparency, more transparency going forward. I understand if you're not comfortable saying this is exactly your spot, but a communication, understanding how many spots there are in each grade, I think is something that we need. And we need to hear from you guys on where we can sit at this table. This whole presentation was put together. And while again, I appreciate it, I feel like why weren't we asked any questions before? Why wasn't a survey put out? Why aren't you asking what the actual need is? And please, please do not continue to say comments like, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Murphy, I've appreciated so many things that you have said. But when you said that, um, so many spots do get filled. I am someone who's been on the wait list for over a year, over a year. So please do not say statements that makes people feel like they might get a spot as it is today. But I do thank you guys for looking at options and hope that you make us a part of the conversation in the future. And please don't forget that Andre did have his hand up. Oh, okay, I see he has it up again. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. Name and address for the record. 
if you try to limit it to two to three minutes, that would be great. We have a couple more pages left. Name and address for the record. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah. Um, so my name is Andre Quinna and address is 19 Johnson Ave in Medford. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief because and the, the, the you know, I, I think a lot of our points are similar since we've been discussing a lot of this as a group. Um, the one thing that I'll add is, and to Paul's point and to Vanessa's point, um, yeah, I see it a little bit differently in that, you know, we, we again are a family that, you know, we have uh, a child going into first grade because we weren't able to find an after-school option last year when our, our son was going into first grade. So he's in private school this year. Um, and next year, we're really hopeful that we can figure out a way to have him in public school. But that's going to come at a cost. Um, you know, what we're looking at, so we've we've looked at other options. GraceWorks, they've told us they're, they're bringing in maybe two to three additional spots next year that aren't filled by existing students within their program or siblings of students in their program. Um, so we're on that list. We're not hopeful that that's going to be an option. Um, we believe right now that our only option is to hire an individual caregiver for our son if we're going to go to private to public school. That's going to come at a cost of $10,400 to, to cover that cost for him to receive care. And that's $10,400 that we're paying. And you're talking about, you know, should we or shouldn't we have variable rates based on income? That already exists. Like we're going to pay twice as much for care for our son next year. And that's twice as much that's going to go, it's, it's going to be lost from this after school program. We could be paying more into this program and not only having a spot for our son in this program, but potentially offsetting the cost for a family that can't afford it. Um, so I mean, like we, we shouldn't be considering is there or isn't there a graduated program? There already exists. It already is there. It's just you're not taking advantage of it and you're not using it to, to increase access to the program and increase equity to the program. That's the only point I'll make. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. Member McLaughlin. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I wanna thank the parents that were here tonight. It was really good to hear from all of you. It's really encouraging to see you all coming together, um, asking for, to, for a seat at the table and to be a part of the community. And um, I think that you deserve that. And I think we have to figure out a way to make that happen. Um, and I want to get back to what another colleague was saying, or several folks were saying about some of the definitions of the items that folks are talking about. Clearly, you all have put quite a bit of work into um, your uh, organizing and your discussion around this. So I'm sure you've had a lot of discussion um, around a kitchen table or Zoom or what have you around these issues. And equitable access is a huge part. As I hear you talking about this, I'm really, really encouraged to hear people talking about offsetting costs and sliding fee scales. And I know we had, you know, a colleague talk about hundreds of thousands of dollars that some people make, but, and there are people, you know, um, in our community that don't. And so how we're figuring that out is really critical and equitable access for all. Um, I think, I know that Megan um, has been really great about ensuring that uh, students with disabilities are included in the program, that there's, that there's a 
statement right on the application that families know um, that the program is accessible and that there's hiring of staff that should be trained to work with students of all abilities, students of all languages, um, and that those factors are being considered as well. So I am encouraged by the community rallying around this and the participation. And um, I would love to take a vote on Member Graham's motion around the wage um, uh, uh, motion. And I would also like to ask what the next steps forward could be in terms of sliding fee scales, because there are very much um, families who can't, I know that access around uh, building access and room is obviously one issue, but also the sliding fee scale is another really big issue. And I want to know what training is going to be available for staff, for students with disabilities um, as well in our individual learners. So, um, so that's a second on the motion. Mm -hmm. um, roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vanderclue. Yes. Mayor Longo Kern. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion is approved. And I would like to make a motion, Mayor, if I might. Yes. I'd like to make a motion that there's um, a meeting that can be held with the parents that have supported this um, process um, and the administration and school committee members, if they're interested, um, that we could put something on the books for that maybe within the next um, month. So I make a motion that we schedule a meeting to meet with the parents of the um, Metro parents for better after school and before school care. Um, and that uh, within the next month or month and a half. So April 12th, May 12th, by the end of May. Motion for approval by member McLaughlin, seconded by member Vandekloot. Roll no, call. I actually have a question on it. Yep. Member Vandekloot. Yeah. So I just have to raise my concern because I've looked at um, the schedule just to try and get more meetings in with our budget meetings and what we're expecting of our, our staff. I mean, maybe we have to ha ask um, Megan to spearhead this sort of meeting. Um, I, I, just, I just have to express concern that, you know, I think we had 22 meetings um, last month and I, I wanna be as responsive to the parents um, as possible. I wanna have maybe you know, is there a way of working committee, but a formal school committee meeting to meet with all the parents? It just doesn't see them seem like the most effective way. Um, Maybe, so you want to amend it that Ms. Fidlow-Carey has a listening session with uh, parents? I think, I think if the committee would like the administration to meet with the community members who have voiced these concerns, certainly by all means, take a vote if, if you would like to, but it's certainly something that, that we will do. I will echo Ms. Vanderkloot's concerns with regard to the 22 evening meetings convened in the month of March, that I think it might make more sense, particularly when we've now, you've now adopted it via a unanimous vote, a, a essentially a plan for the 21-22 school year. I don't know, certainly we can meet with whoever we need to, to meet with us in the next month. That won't be a problem, but I, I, I'm not sure that like directing a staff member 
to to for this type of meeting and, and a highly prescribed timeline um, is going to really have a, a major consequence in terms of the eventual structural changes. I think that um, there's a lot of meetings that have to take place and a lot of conversations, and we'll make sure the appropriate staff is present at them. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure that I, I understand a, a formal school committee meeting about this in the next month. I, I just, I'm not sure what we would have on the agenda for that when there's a lot of back, like sort of research that has to be done to make sure that we can actually have like informed conversations about um, where we're going to go from here. Member McLaughlin. Yeah, I didn't ask for a school committee meeting on this. So for clarification, I am fine with a, you know, a working group, task force group, what, what have we whatever, you know, sort of is, is uh, most workable for folks. What I want is that the conversations and the data and the information that the parent group is collecting is shared with administration and is ultimately shared with school committee so that we can see what their recommendations are. So we heard from tonight what the administration's recommendations are. I am looking for family and community engagement for this family group. So whether that's a work group or, you know, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter to me. I'm happy to be involved in it. I'd like to be involved in it. And I'd like it to happen, you know, by the end of May. Option for approval by member McLaughlin, seconded by member. Can I just ask member a Graham. question? Um, so I, I guess uh, I certainly would like to see that meeting happen, but I don't think it's reasonable for it to happen before the end of May. Um, and specifically, there is a tremendous amount of rebuilding work that has to happen in order to put the staff in place to even enact the, the votes that we just took. Um, it is also budget season. I haven't heard what our budget numbers are. So I have to imagine that will be like a, a broad scale, massive scramble um, because it is the end, we are approaching the middle of April at this point, and we haven't, you know, we, we haven't as a committee discussed the budget at all. So I, I just, um, I would like to make sure that the administration can make good on the directive, the policy directives that we just provided around pay increases, and more importantly, the hiring that we think it will enable, because we need to know sooner rather than later, if that doesn't work. So we need there to be some prioritization of these activities so that we don't find ourselves heading into September without answers to this question. And I think we need to give the administration the space to actually act on the policy directives that we've just issued. So I'm completely on board with having a listening session I think Ms. Fiddler Carey is perfectly capable of doing that. I understand it here in Medford that there is a strong feeling that if you want something done, you must talk to the superintendent and the superintendent alone to get something done. And I do look forward to a day where that um, is not the general feeling about how things get done in Medford, because I think the staff is much, much, much more capable than that. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, like I, if we are insistent that that happens, I think we need to give the administration the space to make sure that this meeting occurs perhaps before the start of the next school year um, so that they can actually do the work we've just asked them to do. I, I anticipate more than one meeting between now and the beginning of the school year on this topic with a variety of stakeholders, including um, members of the community. So I don't want anyone to think that we're gonna have check a box by sitting down 
at the table having a conversation and say, well, you know, good thing we we talked to those people that the school committee told us to. I mean, there are a lot of stakeholders and constituents that have a lot at stake in these strategic decisions that have to be made. And I think I appreciate, Ms. Graham, that um, more plausible timeline. And I think that we will be able to engage with them um, on, on an authentic basis to have the conversations so that we keep the committee informed as to what are the implications to some of these decisions. And ultimately the school committee has to, has to decide you know, what, what you feel is best for the community. But I, I anticipate will be there'll be a robust engagement on this um, in the coming uh, in the coming months. Um, Mayor. M Member Graham. Um, can I also suggest that before we wrap in the month of June, um, that we get an update on um, this activity so that we know if we're well positioned to head into September or if we have additional problems we need to solve. Member Vandekloot? Yeah, I was actually going to suggest the same thing. I, you know, I think um, my, my initial concern is we need to, we need to make sure that we're giving our administrative people space to do the budget. Um, but this clearly needs, you know, to be in the, in the mix. Um, the, um, the one thing about this topic is, it was, we've got to, this isn't one where there's opposition or we're at longer loggerheads. We all want the same thing. We want this to happen. Everyone here, I have no doubt, wants this to happen in a positive way um, for our families. Yeah, that's, thankfully we've been able to add the 60 spots. The admin worked very hard over the last week or two and I know they wanna to continue to add those spots, but let's get people hired and figure out a plan moving forward. And I'm sure we'll add as many as we can depending on the space and personnel and how it plays out over the next few months. Member McLaughlin, and then let's um, move on. We have another few pages to go and I know everybody's a bit tired, go ahead. Um, so I would like uh, some uh, idea of what the process is gonna be for um, getting feedback from the families. So I made a motion that we, um, have some process by which we're getting feedback from the families for the before school and after school program. Um, and I appreciate that um, we all have a lot to do in the next couple of months with budgets. And, and I also appreciate that families are putting a lot of thought into this. And clearly I know that the rest of the, my colleagues do as well. And so whether it's end of May or in June, not really, you know, I wanna make sure that we're getting data from families that we're understanding what it is their experiences. I know we've heard from some of them tonight. We haven't certainly heard from all of them and you know what this will look like, whether it's with, you know, Megan and I don't, I never said that the superintendent had to be at this either. I think the superintendent certainly will get feedback from her staff and, you know, we can come back around, but we've had round tables. We've had discussions. This is clearly an ongoing issue. And I think that this is something that we need to have a discussion over. That's not at 10 30 at night, um, you know, in, bits and pieces. So I'd like to move the motion forward. I'm sorry, what I just what what it is No, we're just waiting for a second. And I don't know if there I don't know if there is one. Is there but, a second? So Mayor. Yes, Member Vandekloot. I fully support that we want to uh, make sure that we are talking to parents and engaging with parents um, uh, whether we need a formalized process right now, 
I, I'm just trying to say, you know, um, I, I think we have a pretty good idea of what the issues are. Um, personally, we've got a very active, engaged group of parents who have, you know, clearly been able to make their voices heard and their express their concerns. You know, there's nothing, Melanie, you're, you're sure we can vote on your, your thing, but I don't want to formalize process and say, we're going to have this survey and that survey and whatever. I don't know exactly what it is that, that, that you want that we're, we're not I'm responding to you. Sure. We can't trust our staff to do. I trust our staff is going to talk to these people. To I have no doubt. I don't think that it's a matter of trust um, through the chair um, to member Van de Kloot. I think it's a matter of structure and putting things in place so that it actually happens. And what I heard from families tonight is that, you know, they were wondering why they weren't, uh, uh, incorporated into the presentation tonight. They were wondering why they didn't have feedback on that tonight. Um, and I think that we hear this a lot from families and then we hear that they are gonna be spoken with or you know, this will happen. And what I'm looking for is something um, a little bit more concrete that families know that there's actually going to be a session where more families can come at a reasonable time and you know share their concerns and those concerns can be documented. We could collect data on them and we can have that to inform our decisions moving forward, not just with relation to pay, but to all of the other issues that we heard tonight. Or we could just put a motion on the floor that this is a great, great first step and we're gonna continue the conversation internally and externally with parents to try to do all we can to create as many spots as possible before the next school year. I mean, that's what the admin has been trying to do. And within the last two weeks, they've created 60 spots. And I have faith that they're gonna do everything they can to create as many as they can. As we responsibly can, I guess, would be the one qualifier. Responsibly, safely, yes. Yeah. And there are, there are, there's a lot of complexity to that. I would say, I, I think this is known, and I, and I appreciate Ms. McLaughlin's and Ms. Bannequist's comments about the having trust that the administration will do this, but we are engaged with families on a variety of matters on a daily and sometimes hourly basis. I think that's a critical component of our job as district leaders, and certainly at the building level, principals are communicating with and engaging with families all day, every day, to make sure that we're being responsive to the needs of the community and making sure that we are putting the needs and priorities of the community in the context of what is best for students, which is ultimately what we're charged with doing. And so I think that this will be a, an instance in which we will continue that engagement. We will continue that communication. We will uh, certainly update the, the school committee prior to the conclusion of the school year um, as to where those conversations stand and any challenges that we're potentially um, encountering, but frankly, I, and, and I, we that would be the case whether this presentation was made tonight and whether um, the advocacy that was exhibited was exhibited. There's, there's, we as an administration have a responsibility to keep an open door and to keep that engagement happening on a continuous basis, and that would be the case for parents who have um, voiced concerns. And also it will be the case for parents and family members who haven't voiced concerns and for whatever reason aren't positioned to be able to advocate on behalf uh, of their children. Our obligation is to engage with those families as well, to hear their concerns, to try to be responsive, but always to put um, the needs of students first in terms of our strategic decision-making 
and recommendations to this committee. So I, I fully expect that that will happen um, in the remaining months of this school year, over the summer, throughout the next school year, and for as as long as um, you know we are charged with um, of, you know serving this community. That that that's just part of the job. There's nothing terribly unusual about this, frankly. A point of privilege, Mayor. You have to just keep doing it. Point of privilege, Mayor. Uh, so I understand this, and um, you know, but what we're hearing is that from we're hearing from some folks who are saying we do family engagement all the time. We've been doing family engagement. Our family engagement is great. Our door is open, and then we're hearing from other folks who are saying you're not including us, and we want to be part of the conversation. And the motion that I have asked to put forward is that before the end of the school year, I'm willing to you know make it so that it's not May. But the motion that I've asked to put forward is that before the end of the school year, we have a listening session with families about the before and after school program so that we can collect data from families about what their needs are above and beyond this school committee meeting. That is what I'm asking for in my motion. Thank you. And I'd like to move the question, please. Thank you. Motion is on the floor. There is no second of the motion. I'm sorry, Melanie. Mayor. Member Graham. Um, through the chair to Member McLaughlin, I, I just want you to know that this was the primary substance of the conversation in the strategic planning roundtables for two nights in a row um, at the elementary school level, which is the group that I led. So we actually did talk very extensively um, Ms. Galusi was there uh, both nights, I believe. The superintendent was in and out as she was with all the groups. So I, I do, I do want to make sure that you know, because we couldn't all be in all of those groups, that that was, hap that was happening um, in our subgroup amongst a bunch of other dialogue. So I, we, we have done some of that work already, um, but I would definitely... Um, encourage the superintendent and Ms. Fiddler Carey and Mr. Murphy to reach out to some of these parents um, and engage with them further because they may, you know, they just may have perspective that helps solve problems a different way than, um, than in school administrators are thinking about. Um, I don't know, maybe half of them want to spend two days a week working in the after school program and they create staffing for us uh, that we just don't know about yet. So um, I, I do want you all to do that. Um, I just think the logistics of um, a, a big meeting may not be the most effective way to do that. So I, I do want to defer to the, the superintendent and her team about the most effective way for them to collect this feedback. We'll absolutely have those Thank meetings you. and report back. Thank you. Um, if there's no further questions, we have... May yes, I just like to ask... Off. Yep, through the chair, I'd like to say thank you to Member Graham for that information. And this is when it would be helpful to have data from the feedback session. So I'm assuming that we were going to be getting data from the roundtable session so that we understand what the feedback was um, at the elementary level because we weren't all able to be in the different sessions. So that would be very helpful. Thank you. Okay, great. Melanie. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was referenced in, in, the, in the minutes. Uh, that we received tonight, and I, I was um, 
I was in the elementary meeting on the second night, so I did hear the parents extensively, and I realized that you you weren't able to be there. Um, so that may be why we've got a slightly different perspective than you. Okay, and thank you, thank you for the parents that are on and that spoke. We hear you, we hear you. I thank the administration for doing this work and continuing the work. Um, next up, we have. Old business, good of the order, offered by member McLaughlin. I'm going to table that and ask that we uh, include that as part of the agenda for the next meeting so that it's not old business, but it's rather part of the agenda. That's what the motion is. It's supposed to be a monthly aspect of our agenda. Thank you. Motion to table by member McLaughlin, seconded by Second. member Rousseau, roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member uh, Russo. Yes. Member Van de Kloot. Yes. Mayor Longo Karn. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Uh, motion to, to table has been approved. Number 11, communications. I don't believe we have any. We've handled five and a half hours of communication. <laughs> Number 12, new business. Do you wanna do this tonight or you wanna move it to the next agenda? We do, um, can we do the first one tonight? Do the first one tonight, okay. Resolution in support of ex expedited COVID-19 vaccinations for students. Whereas of April 12, 2021, the coronavirus pandemic has infected over 30.4 million individuals in the United States and resulted in more than 551,638 deaths across the country and 17,185 in Massachusetts. Whereas our strong public education system, which is essential to the individual and community well-being of our society is facing unprecedented challenges due to the coronavirus pandemic and lack of clear national, state, and local direction or resources. These challenges include, but are not limited to, the academic and social-emotional toll on students, as well as the need to rap rapidly pivot to distance learning, clean and equip school facilities to adapt to new health protocols and social distancing, assess and address the risks to teachers, staff, and students, whereas vaccines have proven to be the most effective strategy to reduce and eliminate the spread of infectious disease and are an important and necessary tool for eradicating disease and vaccines are anticipated to be approved for use for some school-aged children in the coming weeks. Mm. Whereas, the whereas the current Commonwealth vaccine distribution system created access issues for eligible residents that could create greater access disparities among school-aged children. And whereas the Memphis Public Schools is committed to the health and safety of its students and staff, now, therefore, be it resolved that the Medford School Committee, number one, calls on the state legislature, the governor, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, create a vaccine rollout plan for school-aged children that puts the distribution in the hands of local officials and eliminates accessibility barriers to students and their fam families. Number two, calls on the Massachusetts Association of School Committees to publicly advocate for local control of vaccine distribution for school-aged children and three directs the district of the district superintendent to transmit official copies of this resolution to the following the com com 
Commissioner of Desi, the Governor of Massachusetts, Senator Warren, Senator Markey, Congresswoman Clark, Senator Jalen, Representative Donato, Garbally, and Barber, and the Massachusetts Association of School Committees. Offered by Member Graham and Member Rousseau. Is there a motion on the floor with a second? Motion to approve. I remember second. yep. seconded by member Rousseau, I think. I, roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Van de Kloot. Yes. Mayor Longo Kern. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion is approved. All right. Motion to table number two. Motion to table number two, seconded by Vanderclue. Member Vandeclue, roll call. Mayor. Member Russo. Um, is this a table to a date specific or just table? To the next agenda. Thank you. Roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Um, member Van de Kloot. Yes. Mayor Longo Kern. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Number two is tabled. Are we missing number three? <laughs> yeah, I'm missing number three. I have, I'm sorry. I think we just have the count is wrong. That's all. I have the condolences. Number four is my page five for some reason. Yeah, I think it was a misprint. Uh, the condolences should be number three. Okay. School committee resolution condolences. The Memphis School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Mr. James F. Jim McKinnon, a former English teacher, head football coach, and submaster at Memphis High School. Also, the Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Mr. Alan K. McDougall, former Mustang football captain of 1985 Greater Boston League champions and former freshman football coach at Medford High School. The Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Mr. Leon Appiani, the son of the late Mr. Leo Appiani, former math teacher and varsity boys basketball coach at Medford High School. Also, the Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Mr. Alfonso J. Citrano, great uncle of Mrs. Gina Citrano of the Medford Public Schools Business Office. The Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Ms. Amit Unisa Bagam, mother-in-law of math director, Ms. Faiza Khan. If we may all take a moment of silence. Thank you. Motion, to, Motion adjourn. to adjourn. Is there anything else you guys <laughs> want to discuss? Motion to adjourn. <laughs> Your humor? <laughs> Motion adjourned by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Member Graham. Roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kratz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yeah, yes. Member Vandekloot. 
Yes. Mailongo Karn. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Good night, all. <laughs>